Hey everyone, welcome back to Life is Love School. Today's topic is how to break free of the anxious avoidant trap. Now, if you're anxiously attached, unfortunately, oftentimes until you heal your attachment style, by default, you will be attracted to somebody who seems to have the opposite attachment style, and that's the avoidant attachment style. Now, the interesting question is, if anxiously attached people, by definition, always want more closeness, more connection, more conversation, more together time, why would anxiously attached people not just find another anxiously attached person? In fact, the anxious attached and anxious attached tend not to get together. They tend to find the avoidant. So that is fundamentally an interesting question. If you're curious of why that pattern started, how to break the pattern, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss anything. So what is the anxious avoidant trap? So let's trace all the way back to how these attachment styles are formed. So generally, insecure attachment style is formed when the right genes meet with the right environment. It's always genes and environment, right? Just like people are like plants. Two different plants, same environment, they might develop differently. So a person who's anxiously attached and a person who's avoidantly attached might have grown up in a similar environment. Not always, but a lot of times it could be very similar but based on their genes, they chose different ways of coping with that environment. If the environment where you have that interaction with your primary caregiver in your early years is not consistently giving you love, then a child being vulnerable and relatively helpless, they really just have two primary ways to deal with it. One is to say, I don't need it, right? That's how the avoidant thinks. You can't give love to me consistently or you, know, you shun me when I reach out to you. I don't need you, you're not dependable. In fact, relationships means that if I'm too close and I rely on you, you have the power to harm me. And therefore I am self-sufficient. I don't need you, I don't need anybody. I am self-possessed, I am enough. I can take care of things, I am independent, etc. So they start forming that mindset fairly early in their life. An anxiously attached child, on the other hand, they chose a different coping mechanism and you know, both coping mechanisms can work, right? There's no better or worse. You're trying to protect yourself. So the anxiously attached child would say, well, maybe if I were to be a better child, if I do more, if I cry more, if I reach out more, if I cling harder, I might get more. And sometimes it makes sense, it works. So then they feel like that strategy work so they get the positive feedback, they keep going down that path. And the same for the avoidant child. By shunning connection, they're protected. They're no longer as hurt as if they put all their hope on their caregivers. So these two children basically chose different paths to deal with insecure attachment that they have with their parents, where the parents are not able to consistently give them love. And in particular for the avoidant types, Sometimes they're actually exposed to extremely toxic environments where they're beaten for showing vulnerable emotions. They are never uh, having their needs met, etc. So the avoidance style is the only way that works because no amount of crying, pleading, clinging, asking nicely will give them anything. So their only choice is to be avoidantly attached. So now that you understand how the attachment style is formed, we could talk about what that cycle is and why the two types tend to be attracted to each other. So why do the anxiously attached person seem to find the avoidant type and vice versa? 
in the initial dating phase, everybody is, first of all, on their best behavior. And second of all, they're looking for something that they're missing. So the avoidant type deep down really wish that they have people that want to meet their needs, that want to get closer with them, that care about them. So when they see the anxious attached people who are seem to be really ready to give, seem to be ready to love, they feel that instant attraction. On the other hand, the anxiously attached person is used to having to earn love, having to ask for love, having to plea for love. So when they see the avoidant person, there is this sense of, I've met you before, I know you, there's that instant attraction. So sometimes going with emotions to select your partners isn't the best reason to do so, but people tend to go down this path until they recognize why they feel the way they do towards certain people. So having awareness is really important. But once these two types stick together, what happens over time is that the anxiously attached person wants more, right? They feel like whatever they get is not enough. So they try to do more, please more, etc. And that starts getting a little too close for comfort for the avoidant type. So the avoidant would draw further back, which makes the anxious person more anxious and they chase more and the avoidance starts to run harder away. And eventually, after a while, the anxiously attached person gets fed up. So they said, I'm done, I leave. So they pack their bag, they leave. All of a sudden, now there's a lot of space, there's no risk of being approached. So the avoidant person all of a sudden remembers that they actually do want some connection. So they start to chase. They go after the anxiously attached person, maybe make some promises, start to reach out. The anxiously attached person gets a sense of hope. Like, hey, this person does love me. This person does want to give to me. I should come back and give it a second chance. So then they start getting back together, go through the honeymoon period, similar to how they felt about each other when they were just dating. And of course, the old pattern would repeat because these two people are not conscious of what's going on. Again, the anxious person wants more and the avoidance starts feeling compressed and they start to leave again. So the cycle just repeats, repeats. So a lot of times with this kind of relationship, you will see people getting together, breaking up, somehow getting back again and then breaking up and rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. It's a very, very tiring cycle. And I hope that nobody has to go through that because your relationship ought to be the most stable and supportive part of your life when you already have to deal with a lot of stressors, a lot of challenges everywhere else, whether that's school or raising children or work or your health issues. You do not need your relationship to be yet one more drama-filled place where you can't rest and relax. So that's why I really wanna teach you how to break that cycle. So how do you do it? Number one is self-awareness. You're probably tired of hearing me talk about this over and over, but this is of utmost importance because self-awareness is the key. If you're not self-aware, you are condemned to repeat the cycle. Also, what I see is a lot of times people are eager to change other people, yet they're not willing to change themselves. You have to realize that if you are in this dance, you're a participant. The other person can't dance without you. So if you start to march left and they would take a step further left, then that's you are initiating that move, right? You're pushing or you're pulling away so they draw, try to draw closer. In any case, you are part of the dance. So instead of trying to point your finger to say, I need you to change, 
The only person you have control over is you can change yourself. So self-awareness is key. First of all, recognize why you're attracted to the kind of person that you are, and also recognize how the dance gets started. And then that's your key to breaking the cycle. Number two is be self-possessed. These kind of codependent relationships where people are entangled in a bad way is always because people are not completely self-possessed. Especially if you are an anxious attached person, fundamentally your belief system is that I'm not good enough and therefore I must earn love. Now, if you pick a person and you say, you're my target now, I'm gonna earn your love, then the person being picked as a target doesn't feel very good because their feeling is, okay, you think you're not good enough and therefore you need to earn my love, but you're putting me on a pedestal. You're not really seeing me for who I am. You're just seeing me as a target, maybe a person who can uh, support you financially or give you children or whatever it is, but I am replaceable, right? Today, I, if I'm not here, you'll find another target and you'll do the chase. So it actually doesn't make them feel good if you are not self-possessed, if you don't see that you have value. You really wanna come from a confident place where you know that you have value, where you know that your needs matter just as much, not more than the other person, so that you're willing to say what you want, say what you need, and hold strong boundaries. Because at every moment, we are teaching the other person how to love us. So you have to get out of the people-pleasing mindset, which is I'm walking on eggshell, I'm not good enough, how can I do more for you so that you will love me? That is not the right mindset. The right mindset is I'm valuable, you're valuable, and let's see how we can create a better life jointly together. So you have to hold to that mindset very strongly and constantly remind yourself that true love does not need to be earned. So the third thing that you must drop to break the cycle is any sort of passive aggressive protest behavior. Why do people do protest behavior? Protest behavior is, for example, um, you're angry at your spouse for not texting you back, uh, after you text them and it's been half a day, a few hours, instead of outright expressing your needs, for example, using the nonviolent communication framework, which I'll talk about a little bit more later, you use sarcasm like, oh, so you're too busy for me, aren't you? Right? Are you just pelled and you don't talk? Any form of indirect communication where you're hoping that the other person would just magically guess what you need is passive aggressive, and it's a form of protest behavior. People do this kind of behavior when they don't value themselves. If a person doesn't value their needs, if they don't feel like they're of value, then they feel like they don't have the right to express what they need in relationships. And they don't wanna take the risk. So you're taking the risk if you say, hey, I sent you a, a text message You know, five hours ago, I haven't heard back. When I don't hear back, I tend to feel a little anxious. Could you next time let me know sooner? It will make a big difference for me and I would really appreciate that, right? You're being straightforward. Now the risk of being straightforward is if you put yourself out there and they again don't meet it, then the anxiously attached person would attribute that to, hey, I am not worthwhile because I was crystal clear and they still chose not to meet my needs. So instead, the anxiously attached person might feel like the lower risk approach is to just pout because if the other person doesn't guess right, well, they're not outright rejecting me, there is a chance that they didn't read it correctly, so maybe I'm still lovable. But the problem with protest behavior is you don't know 
first of all, if they're not meeting your needs because they don't understand what you're asking for, and that's already a big miss, but they might read it correctly, but they're just pissed off at the fact that you're not willing to be authentic, that you're just pouting when you should be speaking up. So they might not meet your needs also because they're protesting against your protest behavior. So it just becomes a huge cluster and that's not a mature relationship. Also, if you want the other person to treat you authentically, to be vulnerable, etc., what's in your control is to model that behavior for them by being vulnerable, by being authentic, by being direct, by communicating like a mature adult, which is all the things I just listed. So if you want them to treat you a certain way, make sure that you model the behavior for them. And that is to not use protest behavior, but to communicate directly. So number four of breaking the anxious avoidance cycle is you want to stop being critical when you're expressing your needs. When people hear criticism, their default is to defend themselves. They feel like their ego is being hurt, so they shut down their ears and they puff up and try to defend themselves. That's not what you want. What you want is you want them to hear you. So in order for them to hear you, don't criticize, but use a framework such as the nonviolent communication framework, where you clearly outline the unmet needs and then make a ask of the other person, all in a calm manner. When you look at people who train animals, that is the right way to work with people because we're, we're animals by default, right? We are. And so you look at a good animal trainer, what they do is they encourage and reward good behavior and they ignore bad behaviors. What I see is oftentimes people make the mistake of doing the opposite. So let's say that you want your husband to call you when they're on a business trip or want them to come home earlier to, so that you can spend more time. A lot of times what I see is people get so frustrated. So when the husband actually calls or comes home, you slam the door in them or you yell at them. So that's teaching them the opposite. So you want to encourage those behaviors that you do like and ignore the behaviors you don't like. And you could communicate again if they're late again and again, you want to communicate that again, but you don't want to yell at them because that is just not going to achieve anything. Everything I tell you here is not to say that you must tolerate other people's behavior regardless. I'm never going to ask you to water a plastic plant and pray that it will flower because it will not. So it's also very important that you be discerning to say, is this person capable of meeting me where I am? You could learn everything, whip out all the tools, try really hard to do everything you can, but you cannot make the other person give you what they are not ready to give you or what they don't want to give you or change when they're not ready to make the change or never wanted to make the change. So it's very important that you be discerning. A common confusion is that people might say, oh, my girlfriend or boyfriend is an avoidant, but in fact, there might be a toxic person. For example, they might be a narcissist. So I've done a video previously about this and I'll put it up uh, here so it's clickable so you could view that. There is a difference between people who are narcissistic versus people that have an insecure attachment style. And it is not correct to say that people who are avoidant are narcissistic. There is not that link. Yes, narcissistic people have insecure attachment style, but they could be of any type of insecure attachment style. So a narcissistic person could be anxiously attached. It could be a fearful avoidant. It could be an avoidant, but it doesn't mean that just because you're with somebody who's avoidant that they're a narcissist or vice versa. 
So I want to clarify that up front because I think there's a lot of confusion and then there's some anxiously attached people get very angry at their avoidant partner. So they accuse them of being narcissistic, etc., and that is not true. So if you're anxiously attached and you want to break the cycle, I hope you found this episode helpful and to recognize that you have value. You do not need to earn love. You, your needs are just as important as anybody else's and to hold that really, really dear to your heart so that you could behave in a way that's very self-possessed and self-value and self-loving in a relationship. If you find today's episode helpful, I also want to encourage you to check out some of the information I have in the description. I have a newsletter, so you get additional information, Facebook groups, and also a tribe, which is a membership group that's a monthly membership where you can ask me questions live and we interact also in the Facebook group if you have questions specific to your relationship. Until next time, I hope you have a wonderful week.